Okay. So we shall get started. Um, so welcome back to the people who have were here last semester, and welcome to the new faces. New face. Um, we're starting the series on women in Tanakh. Women in Tanakh. Um, has like a very exciting feel to it. Um, I'm excited about it. I hope that it, you know, lives up to its, <laughs> its what it's, you know, what, what it's all like pumped up to be. But it is exciting. So today we're going to talk about Chava. Um, we're going to take a deeper dive into the creation of Chava. Um, we're going to talk about why she was created. Um, and do we potentially see Chava as like a prototype for women? Right? Um, and I want to talk about her names because she wasn't always named Chava, right? She started off in the first, in the, actually the second Perak of Bereshit. She was called Isha. It wasn't until Perak Gimel that she was actually named Chava. So, what, why the name change and what, what does that you know, symbolize? So, first, we're going to start off with the accounts of creation, um, of the creation of, of woman. And as we know, there are two accounts of creation, right? There's Perak Aleph of, of Sefer Bereshit, which tells us about how Hashem created the world, and there's Perik Bet, which also tells us about how Hashem created the world. There are major differences between Perik Aleph and Perik Bet. You can probably spend a whole class, probably two, just analyzing those differences. Many of the commentaries take the route of, well, Perik Aleph is like a general description of the creation, and Perik Bet fills in the details. Um, then there are more philosophical approaches to the differences. So Perak Aleph places man as the last creation and Perak Bet places man as the first creation. So Perak Aleph is a world where, you know, man is just within nature and just a product of nature and, and everything in it. And then Perak Bet is more of, you know, man is, is in charge. Um, and, there, and there are other differences. Um, Rav Soloveitchik points out that the conflicts you know, the seeming conflicts between Perak Aleph and Perak Bet kind of represent the, the conflicting facets that exist within man um, and how man kind of struggles to, to coexist, to, to, to exist with these coexisting um, um, conflicting facets. So th- that's interesting, but uh, not really so relevant to what we're going to talk about today. So Perak Aleph, okay, we have obviously on, on the sixth day of creation, right, Hashem says... In, in source number one, Vayomer Elokim Naase Adam Betsalmenu Kidmutenu Vayerdu Bidgat Hayam Ubeof Hashamaim Uba Behema Ubehol Haaret Ubehol Haremes Haromes Al Haaret. Right? So Hashem kind of like consults with, you know, the other heavenly beings and says, like, let us, let us make man, right? Let's make a man. And then we have in Kavzain, Vayivra Elokim et ha'adam betzalmo, Hashem creates man, betzelem Elokim barauto, zachar unekeva baraotam. So we could see here how this is the general, right? Hashem created zachar and nekeva. And then we have, right, Perekbet, which fills in. So... Right and and there's also a fe- that's that's really the pshat right that you, Hashem created zachar and nekeva and then and then in Perak Bet Hashem kind of describes well how exactly that came about right it wasn't at the same time and then we have the midrash that tells us that Hashem first created zachar and nekeva together there there were male and female right it was like one being with two faces um, and that in Perak Bet they were actually separated so. Two, two interesting approaches to how to like look at that. 
So that was, that's Perig Aleph. Zachar and Nekeva, we just know that Zachar and Nekeva were created. Then we have comes Perek Bet. In the beginning of Perek Bet, right, the Perek starts with, Ele toldot hashamayim vehaaretz, behi baream, beyom asot hashem ilkim et hashamayim vehaaretz. Right, this is, this is what happened when the world was created, when Hashem created the world. I'm skipping to Pasuk Zayin. Vayitzer Hashem elokim et haadam, afar min haadama. So we have Hashem taking the afar, the dust from the earth, from the ground, and blowing into it a neshama and blowing into it life. Right? And then man becomes alive. Right? And then Hashem puts him in Gan Eden. Um, he puts him there, right? And he, he gives him a command. Fine. After some time, Right? Man is just there. He's in Gan Eden. And Hashem says, I'm in Pasuk Yerche at the bottom of the first page. Vayomer Hashem Elohim, Lo tov heyot ha'adam levado. E'ese lo ezer kenegdo. Right? Man is not, it's not good for man to be alone. E'ese lo ezer kenegdo. And then we have like an interesting interlude, right? Woman is not created right away. Right? All the animals go before man. Right? So man goes and sees all the animals and he names all the animals. But in Pasukaf, right? He he as he's naming them at the end of Pasukaf, obviously he's not finding a Ezer Kenegdo in the animals. Right, but he names them, and he doesn't find an ezer in all the animals. So then, after that, vayapel Hashem Elokim tardema al haadam. We have the first like surgery, and Hashem vayikach achat mitzal otav. Hashem takes the tzela. There's a lot of different ways to interpret tzela. The most common interpretation of tzela is rib. Right, Hashem takes a rib. Um, there, if you want to take the interpretation that man and woman were created as as one. Um, like in Perak Aleph, so tzela literally means a side. So it could be that he also took the side, right, that was female and, and kind of separated them. So again, two ways that you could read that. I have a question. Yeah, tell me. The animals he made male and female? Yeah. Where does it say that? Does it say? Um, because it really doesn't say that. It just says, yeah, man, right, it doesn't. he didn't find an Ezra Kanegda. You're right. Maybe the, maybe it says it in Perak Aleph. I have to look. I might say it in Perak Aleph, but I don't know. I don't know. I need to go okay. look. But you're right. Interesting. So it could be that even animals didn't have meat? No. So the, it, it seems that the animals definitely did have meat. Okay. The commentaries kind of, when they when they look at this, you know, what's this interlude of the animals? Why does Adam have to look at the animal? Right? Why do we need this oh. interlude of, of um, you know, him looking at the animals before a woman is created? Right. And many of them say he saw that the animals all had meat uh-huh. and he, and didn't, he didn't. And then and then what they do is a lot of them is they, they contrast the relationship between man and woman, um, you know, to the relationship between like animals, which is like. They don't really have one, right? Like theirs is just for, mm-hmm. you know, very functional purposes. But good question. Right? So Hashem creates from whatever piece from man, Hashem creates woman, right? Um, 
ויבן השם אלוקים את הצלע אשר לקח מן האדם לאישה, ויביאה אל האדם, and she, he brings her to אדם, and then אדם names her. ויאמר האדם, זאת הפעם עצם מעצמי ובשר מבשרי, לזאת יקרא אישה, כי מאיש לוקחה זאת. He's naming her אישה, because she was taken from him. He was איש. So because she was taken from him, he names her Isha. And then we have a very interesting pasuk over here, which seems out of place, but obviously very, very significant and still talking to us about the relationship between men and women, right? Al ken ya'azov ish et aviv ve'et imo ve'davak ve'ishto ve'hayu lebasar echad, right? And, and from then on, man, right, um, man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife, And they become one. I never one. knew it said it in the Bible. It says in the I mean, Bible. You, you, you know about it, but I never knew right. it came from here. Yeah, right? From, from, from creation. <laughs> wow. Okay. Ma's going to let her sons go more easily now. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> Kidding. Hi. Right? Okay. So what do we see? We see a couple of things here, especially from Perik Bet. Right? We see that man was alone. Okay, before woman was created, he was in a state of lotov, right? And especially we know that a lot of things that were created after they were created, right? Hashem says, vayar kitov, right? He said it was good. We see Adam here is the opposite. He's in lotov. And what's the solution for him to not be in lotov, right? And ezer kenegdo. So what's lotov? What's ezer kenegdo? Like what, 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 are we, what are we dealing with here, right? What exactly is the problem and, and what exactly is the solution? So we're going to look at the Sforno. In source number three, Sforno is Rabbi Ovadia ben Yaakov Sforno. He was a Rome, he lived in Rome from 1475 to 1550. He was a rabbi, commentary, philosopher, uh, philosopher physician, um, and he wrote a very valuable commentary on Chamishachum Shei Torah. So he says like this, right? Lo tov eyot hadam levado, right? That a person, lo yusag tov hatachlit hamechuvan bidmuto betzamo, right? He will not achieve tov and he won't reflect his tzelem elokim, if he needs to take care of all of life's tasks on his own. He needs a, practi- a partner for practical reasons, right? He can't get through life and everything that life has to, you know, all of the challenges that life presents. And even, even just, I think he was even speaking a little bit more practically. He can't do that on his own. He needs help. He needs a partner to help him. Okay, very practical approach. The Shadal takes takes this a little bit further, right? And kind of brings it into a different realm, not so practical. The Shadal is Rav Shmuel David Luzzato. He lived in the 1800s. Um, he was an Italian Torah scholar as well as a poet. And he says like this, right? He's, he's bothered by, right? Hashem didn't make a mistake. Don't read the Pasuk, to say that like Hashem realized like, oops, Man is alone, right? Don't read it that way. Hashem didn't make a mistake or change his mind. Rather, in the second line, right? He wants to emphasize how precious or how dear companionship is, right? So he wanted man to be, it was for man to realize. Man, he wanted man to realize, like, I'm alone. So that when he finally has Isha, 
he appreciates her and he appreciates the companionship, right? He, he recognizes that something was missing. And then once she's created that, that whatever was missing, right, is fulfilled. And that also, Ma, is, is right, when, when you contrast that to the animals, right? Adam didn't, he saw in the animals, like, they all have a mate. Whereas, like, my counterpart, mm-hmm. right? So that's another, adds some insight into like, what the animal story is doing in there also. Um, so he puts it in a, more, in a more, you know, emotional, philosophical need versus Forno, who maybe puts it in a little bit more of a practical need, right? Rav Salavichik takes this even further in his book, Family Redeemed. He has an essay about Adam, Adam, and Eve. Um, and he says, right, that woman fulfills that need for man to belong to a community, um, right? Man is, struggles with loneliness, right, because he speaks in, like, very existential terms. Um, and, and woman in a marriage, what, what a woman fulfills is, is his need for community and, and belonging. It's a very, very nice essay. Um, so at the end of the day, they both agree that there was something missing, right? And they both, they shed light on what was missing. Sforno more practical, Shadal a little bit more, you know, kind of emotional, okay? So that's like, that was the problem, the Lotov, right? Something was missing. So now we're going to shift to the solution. So what's the solution? The solution was Ezer Kenegdo. So what is Ezer Kenegdo? Ezer Kenegdo has gotten a lot of attention over, um, over time. There's many different ways to translate Ezer Kenegdo. I, I have a couple of... of commentaries here and explanations but there are a lot and obviously like each commentary I feel really like is really representative of of a lot like you could take a lot from from what they mean so so we'll start from Rashi who is I guess the most you know one people that the one that people study the most Ezer Kenegdo Zacha Ezer Lo Zacha Kenegdo Lehilachem right if he's worthy then she'll be helper to him if he's not worthy she'll be against him she'll be opposed to him Okay, what does that mean exactly? So we have two commentaries that explain what Rashi means. Because, like, what does that mean, right? I mean, maybe we can imagine what it means, but, like, let's, so let, let's, let's read what they say. So we have the Gur Arya who explains Rashi. V'kach perush divrei Rashi. Eselo ezer shehu ezer kenegdo. Okay, I'm, I'm going to skip a, a line. I'm going to go to the third line. They're equal parties. Okay, she helps him on the same plane. Okay, and, and he contrasts it a little bit to the relationship between a father and a son. So like, yes, they could help each other, but there's always one that's, right, like, a little bit higher, that's above, and one that, that's lower. Not so with man and wife, he says. They help each other out on the same plane, right? Vechen im lo zacha, he kenegdo legamre. But if it's, they don't merit, if it's not a good, you know, relationship, right, then they are, they're completely opposite, and they're opposite forces, meaning, but on the same plane, Right, if they were, he says, if they were zoche, then they could. He says, um, I'm, I'm reading towards the end. Im zacha mitchabrim bekoach echad legamrei. They join forces. These two opposites join, and they become one force. Kind of like I guess magnets, like north and south, and then like they're like one, you know, thing. Um, but if not, 
כאשר אינם זוכים, אז לפי, לפי שהם הפכים, גורם שהיא כנגדו, if, they, if they're not, they don't have peace and harmony between them, right? Because they're opposite, then they really will be at odds and opposite, you know, with each other. So that's the Goraya explaining Rashi, right? Either they're on the same plane, joining together to become one force, or they're, they're at opposite ends, but on the same plane. Um, the next source, I, I apologize that it's not really clearly quoted. I think that it's an addendum to the Nitziv, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehudami Berlin, um, but it just says Harchev Davar, which is like an addition. So I, I think that it's him, but I, I have to double check that. He says, and you're reading this all wrong. You're reading Rashi all wrong. Zacha is there lo Zacha, right? How, why, and why does he say that? Because you're saying, how can you say that Hashem created her, negdo, that Hashem created woman to be negdo? Like, how could you say that that was part of, of the plan? Like, if Zacha, right, then they were, you know, Ezer and then lo Zacha kenegdo. How can you say that, right? Um, she is there all connect all right like how how can you say either she's one either she's in hell or she's against him like how could you say that she could be both and he says he he puts it very very nicely he says that by by the fact that they're opposites that's what's going to be a help to him and he brings the example like if he's a very angry person and she calms, she's the opposite of an angry person, and she calms him down, that's what's going to help him. And that's going to be the support that he's going to need from her. And in the end, he's going to realize that even though, right, they're opposite, that that's going to be the, the, the piece that's going to keep them together, right? Versus like, if he's angry, and then she kind of eggs that on, eggs the anger on, right, he's going to realize after that that's not what he needed and that that's not what was helping him. So that's how he brings in the Ezer Kenegdol. He says that the opposite, the fact that they're kind of opposite of each other is what helps them connect and, and be together. So that's how Rashi translates, you know, that's Rashi kind of sits at the base of this and then that's how these commentaries explain what Rashi's getting at with, you know, e- either they're together or opposite. Then we have a bit of, right, but they both agree that Ezer Kenegdo uh, insinuates that they're on the same plane. Then we have this Forno who takes a different route. Many commentaries take this route too, but for completeness sake, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna address it because it's important. Right, he says that normally negdo is yes that they're on the same plane. Right, when when they're not equal, aval kishelo yihiyu shavim shnei hanishkalim. Right, yihiyeh ze ole ve yored. Right, then it wouldn't use the language neged. It would be like one would be ole up and the other one would be down. They wouldn't be neged if they weren't on the same plane. Okay, and, and then he brings the Pasuk, Shakul Moshe, not the Pasuk, the Chazal says, Shakul Moshe Keneged Kol Yisrael, um, how Moshe was equal to all of Bnei Yisrael. It's actually Midrash from Parashat Yitro. Um, but then he says, theoretically, right, when we have the word Neged, they should be equal. But, top of page four, Lo haya ra'uy she'yeh ha'ezer shave lo legamre. But it can't be that they're totally equal. Because then, like, it, she wouldn't want to, like, do all the chores for him and, you know, do, um, 
do household chores for him, right? So hence, he's, he's saying that the letter kinegdo kind of mitigates that equality. It's definitely an approach in the Mifarshim. Like we, sa- like we saw, there are other approaches that do put them on the same plane. You know, it's definitely interesting in how you can see both, both approaches within the Pesukim. Um, before we move on to, to the second name, though, um, I do want to note that, right, these Pesukim, you can see how it speaks to the function A of, of, right, it obviously talks about the creation of Adam and Chavab. You can see how it speaks to the function of marriage, right, irrespective of children, right? After, after Chava Isha really is created, right? Al ken ya'azov ish et et imo echad, right? It doesn't say that he's going to leave his parents, cleave to his wife, and they're going to have children. I mean, you can definitely interpret the Hayula Bachsarachad as children, right? Because a child is, right, the product, one product from the two of them. So you can interpret it as that, but it, you don't have to necessarily. So I think that it definitely kind of shows how there's a lot to a marriage, right? And that, that there needs to be emotional and harmony of, of the individuals, Right? And having children, I'm not advocating for marriages without children, obviously, right? But I, I think that it does highlight that importance. Um, I think that it speaks to the function of us, Isha, as a partner, and perhaps as if Isha is a prototype for us, you know, what does that mean for us to be partners to Adam? Um, right? Even though Isha was created to fulfill a need, Right to fulfill a need for man, perhaps she, you know, ful- fulfilling that need comes from her being who she is as an isha and what she as an individual has to offer. So, food, food for thought. Um, okay, now we move on to Chava. Her name is changed. We're moving on to after Parak Bet. Right, he names her. He names her isha, and then we know it's the the sin of the etzadat, which is. Um, also, like a fascinating thing that we're not going to have time to get through right now, but um, after the sin, after the sin, um, she is her her name is changed, right? So the question is why? Like, what's the purpose for the name change? Why do we now know her as Chava when really for an entire parak, right? We saw that she was originally named Isha. Right, Hadam named her Isha. Why? Why? What's What's up with the name change? Right? What happened in the sin um, that warranted Adam to you know that to change to change her name? So Vaikraha Adam Shem Ishtochava Kihi Haita Im Kolcha. Like we said, right after the sin of Et Adam calls his wife Chava because she was the mother of all life. So Rashi comments on Chava. Why Chava? Nofel al Lashon Chaya. Right? It's, it's similar to Lashon Chaya, which means life. Shemichaye et Vladoteha. She gives life to her children, to her babies. Ka'ashe Tomar, right? Mahava le Adam belashon Chaya. Right? He's saying Chava is milashon Chaya. It's the same thing. Right? It means to give life. Ibn Ezra takes the same approach, but he adds and he says that he, so why didn't he call her Chaya, right? Why do you have to call her Chava with a Vav, right? So he says that really because the Vav and the Yud could be interchangeable. But then he also said um, that if he called her Chaya, there wouldn't be much of a distinction between 
woman and maybe animals. So in order to distinguish, he said Chava instead of Chayash. She's not buying it. <laughs> so I'll, a little bit of, of background. What's interesting sometimes to note when Ibn Ezra makes these things is Ibn Ezra, I think his first language wasn't Hebrew. And a lot of his commentary is a very linguistic He's, he's, he many times focuses on like the language and the, you know, linguistic side of things. I don't know if that makes you feel better, but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's always like, you know. <laughs> he named her Isha. Like he didn't like change it so much. He didn't. Right. Yeah. Right. Good point. Um, but yeah, but, but there's, there's another perspective, which also you might be a little bit upset about, but then mm-hmm. there's another one. What's her name? Claire. Claire. Claire might be a little bit upset about the next perspective. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Um, but well, but no, it's, and you know what? Sometimes like these, when you read these commentaries, sometimes like, I mean, obviously we always have respect for, for the great people that came before us, but like sometimes like you're supposed to like, like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, it happens to me all the time. Um, so, right. Okay. So. Ibn Ezra and, and Rashid go go take the route of of you know Chaya Chava kind of being the same thing. Okay, Kliyakar is is going to be is is an interesting one. Okay, he says why why to change the name? Kliyakar is Rav Shlomo Ephraim Lunchitz. He lived from fifteen fifty to sixteen nineteen. He was the head rabbi of Prague, and he also. Um, he also wrote a very valuable commentary on not just Chamishachum Shei Torah. He also has commentary on, I don't think he has on Nevi'im, but I think he has on Ketuvim, um, on some parts of Ketuvim. Um, anyway, okay, Kihi Haita Em Kol right? So wh- why now did he change her name? Why does he call her Chava after the sin, right? Ve'od Chaya Hayalo Likrota. According to the Kliakar, her name was Chaya before the sin. He named her Chava after the sin, right? She was the mother of all life, and that's what she was called from day one, says Kliakar. But after the sin, after the sin, because she caused kind of all of the you know future generations to to die, um, it was. It was changed from Chaya to Chava because Chava is reminiscent of the term Chavia, which means a snake. So why didn't he just change her name to Snake? Right? <laughs> snake! Right, because before that she was called Chaya, and he wanted to have, he wanted to keep some remnant of her original name, so he switched it to Chava from Chaya, reminiscent of the snake, but also kind of keeping like her original name intact. It's upsetting. But also, it's interesting that now we're finding out the name Chava after the after the sin. And so, me, like, maybe it was actually new after the sin, and it, it wasn't her original name. Like, ha, ha, like, based on what is he saying that it was her original? Like, they always called her Chava. So they did. They didn't always call her Chava, right? They before the, before she was Isha. But right before she but was now Isha. He's saying, no, 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 she was always Chava. He said she was always Chaya. Chaya. 
Chaya. Right. Where does he get that from? Uh, right. It's hard to find evidence for that in the actual text. Um, feels more natural to say like, oh, now she got the name Chabad because after the sin or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's definitely closer to the pshat. I think, you know, maybe he... Right, because a lot of people are bothered by like why it's Chava and not Chaya. So I guess that's how he's reconciling it, right? Oh, no, she really was Chaya the whole time, but now it's switched to Chava, right? It's it's easier to, to transition from Chaya to Chava, I guess, than Isha to Chava, right? And and then why not Chaya, like, right? So that's how he's reconciling it. Definitely, you know, take it or leave it. Um, it, it is definitely, I think, like an approach that like makes you, takes, you know, makes you like, wow, has like that shock factor. But I, what I, I think that it is interesting to kind of think about how our, maybe our mystiques, how they really have, can have an impact on us and who we are um, and how sometimes they're, you know, they're, they're, really have like a massive effect so you know maybe that that's the message there just just speculation obviously he didn't say any of that but um it's it's an interesting approach um rabbin bichaya is gonna make us feel better um <laughs> rabbin bichaya is gonna make us feel a lot better right we're gonna leave here thinking we're all right we're gonna <laughs> Um, no, so Rabenu Bechaye, right, is um, Rabenu Bechaye ben Asher, lived from 1255 to 1340 in Spain. He was a student of the Rashba, Rabbi Shalomo ben Aderet. The Rashba was a, wrote many commentaries on Talmud, on Gemara, and, and like many, in many areas of Halakha, um, the Shulchan Aruch weighs his, um, you know, his Psaq heavily, especially in Hilchot Nida. He has those huge volumes um, on, on Hilchot Nidan and the Shulchan Aruch, whereas like in the regular day-to-day, Shulchan Aruch is more posek like the Rambam or the Reef. Um, but in, in, in Nida, he weighs the words of the Rashba very, very heavily. He was a great scholar. So he was the rabbi of Rabbeinu Bechaye. Rabbeinu Bechaye, though, did not write a commentary on Talmud. He wrote a commentary on Chamisha Chumshe Torah. Um, he's known for quoting many, a lot of like more Midrash um, type commentary. But still, um, he's going to make, he's going to make us feel better. Not initially, but then at the end, right? <laughs> he says, Chava means Medaberet, someone who talks. Okay, right? Right? So he's saying Adam like had this this foresight to to see the nature of people or things, and that's how he named them. And he named her Chava because because it meant Medaberet, and he saw that in her nature she was a she spoke. And then he says, and maybe this is why women like to talk because. The first woman was named, you know, Milashon Medaberet. Okay, fine. Then the last line is what makes it. The Amar kihi haita em kolchai klomar chai ha medaber lehotzi shaar baalei chayim sheen lahem sechel vehadibur en bahem. Right. So he's saying Medaberet is not just that she talks and that she's just talking. It's to symbolize chai ha medaber. Right. That we are people. We have as we're the only living beings that have the power of speech, which symbolizes our intellect. Jewish philosophy has, um, you know, have, have, there's a lot of literature written about the uniqueness of 
the Chai HaMedaber and, and our like uniqueness of speech and intellect and that being part of our Tzelem Elohim. So he's saying that he named her to exclude right all other forms of life to highlight the Chai HaMedaber, right? That she gives life here. He meant to exclude all the living creatures which did not possess intelligence, meaning she gives life to people, to intelligent beings, to intelligent life. Um, she produces life that has the power of speech and, and that has intellect. So that, I think, is very powerful when we, when we talk about, you know, Chava as not being, you know, called from a snake, but him looking at her positive quality as, as somebody who gives life to, you know, intellect and to intellectual beings, right? And by extension, maybe her being an intellectual being herself, Right. Um, good, and there and the other commentaries are are definitely going to go that route also that that we're going to see. So that is right. So that's another symbolism of chava, right? So far, we saw that it was chaya switched to chava. Why not chaya, right? We then we saw one reason for chava. Now we're seeing another reason for chava. Now we're going to see a third reason for chava. This one is by Rav Shimshon Raphael Hirsch. Um, Rav Hirsch was an, he lived in the 1800s in Germany, very, very prominent rabbi, a lot of influence, um, also wrote a brilliant commentary on Hamishah Chum Torah. Um, a lot of what he has to say is like very, it resonates like very nicely, I, I think. Um, so what does he say? Chava, he says also, he says it's from Chaya, right, to give life. Um, and Kvar Nodala Adam, this is very nice. He goes, takes the ride of Rabbeinu Bechayeh, but like he takes it one step further. It's really very nice. He says, right, Adam, Kvar Nodala Adam, it was already told to man that he was going to die. Man knew that he was going to die, right? And he, and, and, and it was already told, Ishto was informed that she was going to have children, right? But at that moment, because she gives life to all living. Okay, what does that mean? Man is going to die. But mankind lives on through her. Right? He is going to die. He was just told that he was going to die. But he's saying through her, in a way, he becomes immortal. Because she gives life to the children. Right? He lives on through the offspring that she gives him. Okay? He could have... He could have gotten angry with her. Right? That he got kicked because he got kicked out of Gan Eden. But instead, he looks at the positive, right? Instead of getting angry with her, he looks at her greatest job and her greatest function, and he names her based off of that. It's almost as if, like, Isha, when I think about this, it's almost as if, like, Isha didn't sum it up, right? Isha was reflective of, you know, the similarities between him and her and how she came from him, right? But then once he started to kind of view her, I guess, as her own entity, right? He, he saw her in this way, right, of this special thing that she could give him and, and, and he names her Chavaf from that. Thank you. Right? Thank you. Um, he, 
right? Ha'itzavon nigmar. Man was was already destined to to have to work very hard, and labor was also decreed on on women, right? Ach But woman, she takes the hard labor, um, and her hard labor has more. Um, like merit in it, right? She turns it around and she saves from death. She gives life and it is in her merit that man, like we said, becomes immortal. Um, and then he also says, right? And and no, Veda, that man doesn't just call her Chaya because she physically gives life, but it also denotes that she gives a spiritual life, right? She, um Right, she also gives spiritual life. So it's not just physical life; it's spiritual and emotional life. So she's literally responsible for all forms of life. Um, which, again, like this is so powerful for Adam to have recognized this in in Chava. Um, but if we're going to talk about Chava as a prototype, right? Like how I think empowering is this? Um, that like the prototype, right? Woman was praised for her ability to give life, to give physical life and the what that means, and not just physical life, also spiritual life and emotional life. So that's Rav Hirsch emphasizes that aspect um, of why she was named Chava, right? And what Chava is, you know, what the, the significance of Chava. And then we have Akedah Yitzchak, which ties it all together. Um... Akida Yitzchak is Rav Yitzchak Arema. He lived in 15th century Spain. Um, he passed away actually two years after the Spanish Inquisition. After the Inquisition, he obviously left Spain um, and settled in Naples, and that's where he passed away. Akida Yitzchak also wrote commentary on Hamisha Chumshei Torah, also very, very interesting. And he sums up the two names, right? And these two names, I'm sorry that this didn't have English, it just I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, these two names have they represent the two functions of woman, he says. Right? one, she was taken from man's Zot, right? So he says, what does he say? He says, Isha symbolizes the understanding and the intellect, like Ish, right? Man has understanding, man has intellect, he was created Betzel Melukim. Isha is reflective of that, right? She has all of those qualities as Ish, right? And she, just like the Tzadkaniyot and the Neviot and all of the righteous women that he's, we're going to learn about right after in, in, in Sefer Bereshit. Okay, that's Isha. And then he says, Chava, like we've said, Chava, Hasheni Inyan HaHolada. The, is, signifies the, the Koach HaHolada, the ability to give life and to give birth. Um, and I think everything that we've said that Rav Hirsch says, um, that that's what that signifies, and then he adds this interesting piece at the end about about Yaakov and Rachel, right? So in Parshat Vayishlach, we know that Rachel sees her sister Leah giving birth to all these children, and and Rachel does not have any children, so she she gets upset, she gets angry, and and the pasuk tells us right, Rachel Rachel gets jealous of her sister. 
Um, and she goes to Yaakov and she speaks very harshly and she says, Give me children and if not, I'm dead. And there's all, you know, commentaries on that. And then Yaakov famously retorts, he gets angry. Like, right, am I instead of God, right? Yaakov gets angry and we could also analyze all that. Like, was he right to get angry or whatever? Um, but as Akeda Yitzchak, that he gets angry, and this, like, I think redeems his anger a little bit, um, right? Why does he get angry? Because he says, yes, part of your, as a woman, you see yourself as somebody that should be having children and should be giving life. But you also don't forget your other function, right? Your other function is like an Isha. And we have this joint this mutual goal, right? Don't forget that you also have that as a function. So don't come and tell me if you don't have children because you're forgetting your whole other purpose and your whole other side of you and your whole other function. So that's why he kind of gets angry with her and reminds her that like, hey, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Um, Which is, you know, better for him to say than, you know, uh, getting angry and, I think it's a nice um, perspective that that he adds to to the Yaakov and Rachel dynamic, and it highlights just that the relationship between the two of them and in the marriage, right? There's obviously the the having children and the being a mom, but there's also the relationship between the two individuals and the harmony of the souls um, and the shalom that goes, you know, between that, and and that's as important as the the koach haholada as well. Okay, respects and values her. Without the ability to give life. Right, exactly, exactly. Right, so we talked about creation, we talked about the creation of Isha, we talked about the creation of Chava, um, we talked about what each name symbolizes, we talked about, you know, how these characteristics of Chava slash Isha could be seen as a prototype for women today, um, and we talked about the significance of the name change. Any questions, thoughts? recording for the question.